a cruise through Hades in the Willy Wonka boat, you gotta try it at least once. So just keep on rowing. I'm your host, Gabe Wells, and this is the Saturated Life Podcast. Number seven, with the painter of surreal symbolism, Christopher Ulrich. If I understand it correctly, it's not only sort of uh, spontaneity, sincerity, and honesty, but and then for trying to capture that, it's, which is very difficult to do. Yeah, yeah. It, it takes a little... It's actually gone pretty well in a lot of the interviews. I feel um, so far... Well, you've interviewed some amazing... <laughs> you're interviewing amazing people. I mean, yeah. you know, Carrie Ann and, and Chris Cooks. I mean, these are... These are, you know, uh, people that I, I um, also have great affinity and fondness for and admiration. I mean, these are not, you know, these are, you know, real deal, um, not only professionals, but they have, you know, um, various inclinations. Yeah, uh, yeah exactly. Uh, which, yeah, which, which, which makes it more than just, you know, people talking about technical craftsmanship, mm-hmm. but they're talking about a way of life. They're talking about philosophy. I mean, um, so so definitely, you know, which is why, I, quite frankly, I was surprised that you wanted to uh, interview me. I was oh like, my God, Christopher, you want to talk to me? <laughs> you are, man. I've watched some videos of of you talking on uh, one your website and a couple online as well on YouTube from a few years back when you first opened the Demon Eater series christopher you are a very deep person as soon as i heard you talk i was like oh man i really want to get him on the podcast well i appreciate you thinking so i mean like i i, I find i find you know if i could take a vacation from myself i certainly would i mean, <laughs> <laughs> I, mean I, I, still, I, I mean i i find almost everything i say to be uh, uh uh especially if it's recorded i mean did i ever tell you about this interview i heard about some guy talking about my work and i was screaming like like, who is that idiot, and how dare he speak about stuff he doesn't understand? And um, uh, my uh, girlfriend uh, said to me, goes, and she just kept staring at me with this horrid look. And I was like, what? Did I say something wrong? You know what I mean? Did I, did I, did I you know, was I racist or something like this? You know what I mean? And she's like, who are you talking about? I said, that idiot in the, in, in the, on the interview. And she goes, that's you. What? Oh my God! You yeah, threw some like I couldn't recognize. <laughs> I was so angry I couldn't recognize that it was me. What? That's some Emron, that's some Emron Shamanon type of stuff. You just threw out a, like a Sixth Sense type of movie to me. Like, what is going on? <laughs> that is wild. Yeah, I could not. I could not. Can you imagine? Can you imagine to expand on what you just said? Imagine an individual that's incapable of recognizing their own reflection. That's, I mean, honestly, I, that's, that is like something special to me. That's really something special. That's a different kind of mind. And that's the kind of person that I want to talk to. I don't well, want to talk to normal people. I have that, I have that problem. I can look into others. I can, I can inspire people. I can, I can really dig on what they're doing and even sometimes come up with an intuitive next step, which they totally jazz on. But when it comes to me, holy moly, that ability 
does not exist. <laughs> Except for in your paintings, though. Except for that's one of the things I want to like that really blew me away is when you really after listening to you talk and then going through the like the Demonator series and then the Illuminator series yeah. and the uh, uh, Chrono Chrono Crest, Chrono, Chrono Creator series. Like there is yeah, a, a Chrono Creator. Yeah, there is a really deep. Um, understanding of your own kind of inner spiritual journey that's so much more aware than the normal person, I, I at least feel. I mean, like, it's, it's so if you can't Well, there are a, different, you know, I, I appreciate you saying that. I mean, there there are different types of intelligences. And, um, you know, there, there's the there's the trivia mind, you know, the mind that does well on SATs. <laughs> yeah. And, and these are these are people that are very analytical and have that sort of that, 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 that part of their mind, which our society currently is really jazzed about. Um, unfortunately there's drawbacks to that. I mean, that's where we also get the word what's trivial, right? <laughs> it's trivia. So, so you're, you, you make a lot of money on jeopardy, but, but then, you know, what do you produce? And we see the effects of what our societies produce, which is, a, a, a tremendous imbalance between haves and have-nots, between pain and pleasure, between, you know, environmental collapse and abundance. And, you know, then there's a different type of intelligence, which is uh, an analog, a more more akin to, you know, a, 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 a multi-layered, multi-metaphoric, uh, multi pictorial or symbolic way of thinking. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, that, that, that's, that, that was more accustomed to the ancient times. You know, when we look at the Egyptian hieroglyphics and, uh, uh, and all of this sort of thing, and we think, how the heck did people build the, you know, the, these pyramids in, in Gaza and Urgiza and all this sort of stuff. And, and like, how did, what is all this writing? Is it phonetic or whatever this sort of thing? Mm-hmm. And 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 we're trying to understand it, or some are trying to understand it from an analytical approach, and you can't. Um, it's an entirely different way of thinking, and uh, produces a completely different result. And um, you know, we have many brains, not just one type. And uh, but I, you know, I'm talking about stuff I don't even understand, so I should just be quiet at this point because you know, no. it's a habit for <laughs> No, it makes perfect sense to me. It makes perfect sense to me, and that's one of the. Like in in all these podcasts, kind of like a spirituality or religion has come up because a lot of artwork is that it's like a it's like a pure kind of representation of that that thing inside of you that thing that you don't you can't really define or test or anything else but it's like this this uh, intuitiveness um, and it's come up in every one of my po podcasts I feel like I, I like I feel I don't want to like be beating a dead horse with like religion or spiritual talk but I, I feel it's so like entwined with art. In really, in my favorite paintings, at least, that that I think what you just said makes makes perfect sense. Like it can't, it can't. It's have hard you noticed that those are bad words? What, you know what I mean, like oh, have you <laughs> spiritual and religious talk? Yeah, you know, yeah. like as if you notice yeah. how that you notice how that just sounds like it's it's <laughs> you said a bad word or something. I I did say I it mean, like it, that. Yeah, that's true. Well, because the 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 analytical mode right now, this this really kind of you know, pop a pill for the problem, this atheist, you know, staunch kind of, you know, scientific method or just, you know, economic 
follow because it's the economy, stupid. You know, all this this whole kind of thought process finds concepts of magic or spirituality or religion to be um, at best primitive, at worst infantile, insignificant, yeah, yeah, barbaric, perhaps. You know, and and this is the this is really the trap, you know, a travesty of, um, and also a blessing because we're, we're, we're very unique creatures. I mean, there's a very unique world. I mean, mm -hmm. I, I quite frankly, I, I don't have the intelligence to be able to describe the, the, the absolute plethora of life on this planet with just some scientific classification. I mean, you have to forgive me, but my heart speaks poetry. Poetry is a language of paradox. I mean, I, I just, I don't know how to describe how I feel when I see a book of all these different types of carapace designs of beetles. I mean, how many beetles have been designed? <laughs> a ton. You know, or, or created, or living. I mean, yeah. I mean, this planet is just producing... I mean, how many kind different types of orchids? Yeah, uh, you know, it's uh, how many different types of minerals and, and metals and and I mean, it's just it's a it's a real incredible uh, you know existence and and I don't know why we're not all more excited about it. <laughs> it's weird, right? Because they're, they're I'm actually guilty of of being kind of reliant on science and the scientific method and thinking like a skeptic and so forth but i wasn't always i was like this i was really we need that i think that i'm not saying i'm not saying one should be without the other yeah, they I'm saying, should be combined. conversely i'm talking about an integrative you know i have more doubt than faith i mean you know when people are asking me about my religious affiliations or or if you believe in god and all this you know i would say that you know I don't have the arrogance to think that God needs to prove itself to me. I feel like I'm just so, you know, inundated with shit between my ears that I can't glimpse it. Yeah. And 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 so what I'm saying is that you know skepticism and and doubt are for me um, what fuels this need to 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 understand or to to really gain uh, just the just to be able to allow myself to have the perception of what's going on around me because you know people who who have faith can be also the opposite problem you know they're locked into a very secure way of thinking because it's scary the unknown yeah you know if you have skepticism or doubt, you'll never go into the unknown. You'll never go off the path. You know? And I mean, we're not cheap. You know what I mean? We're, we're always dissatisfied. You know? I mean, even those people I've met that have office jobs, and and then they have a weekend. Yeah. You know? And, and, and you know, they're always complaining about the school board or this or that. I mean, as if they have the right to even complain. I mean, they're not independent. They're not living a life of freedom. They're not creating a dream. They're, you know, they're living in a more mechanistic and pragmatic way, and there's nothing wrong with that. 
It's a trap, I definitely though. think that. I'm sorry. It's a trap, though. It's a trap, and you just can't. Like, you can't get out of yeah. it. A lot, a lot of people just can't get out of it. Anything that you stay with too long becomes a trap. So if you, if you, if you I mean, faith, if you have an experience of faith, that's wonderful. But if that doesn't grow and 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 you and doesn't stagnate and doesn't de- decompose, it will never become something more vital, and more and renewed. Everything needs to be renewed and go through this process of and and and, and why is that the case? I mean. I, I don't know if it's even a rule that's set down. I'm just describing to the best of my abilities a process that I see that's occurring. And maybe behind that process, one could say, you know, it's natural selection or it's genesis or it's a god or a designer or, you know. I mean, we all have these amazing different artists and scientists and and writers and poets and plumbers and shoe shiners. I mean, I've had some of my most profound conversations with, you know, with 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 all types of people, mm-hmm. and and it's just it just how open are you? You know, like what, you know, how raw are you? <laughs> how how have you been jolted? You know, these <laughs> these type of things tend to color the conversation, you know, a yeah. person who's who's more robotic or hasn't really been tested doesn't have a lot to say. No. Yeah, that those type of people too look at you crazy when you start bringing up like this conversation right here, a lot of a lot of people would just be like this is this is crazy. I'm not I'm not even talking about it. It's threatening to what I already believe. It's different from what I already believe. It's different from what like I've been taught. So, it's nonsense. Like a lot of people don't can't open their minds up enough to accept well, the, the inner judge you just talked about. I mean, the inner judge is Uh-oh. has um, when you're five years old, the program begins. Yeah. Like, before you reach five, you have total inner freedom. I mean, you can see ghosts and you ride dragons and you can see into people's souls. And you know, it's like I mean, some of the crazy. Amazing things, you know. I mean, that you can learn from children. I mean, in fact, when I, I think children actually, their job is to teach adults to remember. That's a good <laughs> point. I've met a lot of adults that don't. I mean, you think they never came out of a vagina? Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know about you, but I, I haven't met too many human beings yet that actually haven't come out of the body of a of a, of a woman. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's like they, they act like they were, you know, put together by Radio Shack or something. <laughs> I don't, I don't know when they just came online about, you know, a couple of hours ago. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I, I, to me, my childhood is, is still living. You know, I mean, the child that I once was is, is does not exist anymore. And that's creepy too, because not a, even a single cell of that child that I once was exists. Yeah. And and for some reason my body whatever that anatomical design looks like. I mean you can look at great artists like Alex Gray for a more accurate depiction of what human anatomy looks like, which I think his you know um, it's mind-blowing. sacred mirror series is amazing. Have you been there? 
Oh yeah. It's amazing, um, right? It's a deep spiritual experience when you walk in there. It's like it's powerful. That place is powerful. I started the whole demon eater process after experiencing an event of his at one uh, that he had at the Hollywood Athletic Club. That's where I met my girl, and she, and we totally uh, embodied what they were saying. And wow. it was a rough journey, yeah. And I and I looked into that mirror literally, and and began a process of individuation. And and up until that point, I was not able to to synthesize a series. Why? Because the intention was incorrect. I was always trying to conform to to a modality that, 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 that had nothing to do with what the unfolding or the actual process of the intuitive, you know, and I, and I dare say visionary component, you know, I mean, I'm not equating myself in a visionary manner. I think that's a whole nother kind of conversation, but I, I do, I do, I must say that, that I found the, the intention to go about this process in a, or true manner to really take one's to to really start from the perspective that one was led, oh, okay. and and that everything that you you knew or everything that you thought or felt you needed to penetrate and go deeper, you know, and reveal and 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 in that kind of purging process or confrontational process you get this whole kind of amazing dynamic of synthesis and coagulation and all these types of things that I would later learn about. Um, but the process itself existed way, way before I ever did. And I'm actually, you and I are actually a product of this process. And what's behind the process? I, you know, we, we, that's where the philosophers come in. Everybody has an opinion. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, There's a lot of opinions. <laughs> There's, and that's, that's kind of one of the, the fun things about it, though, too, is because since I don't believe that there is, like, I don't believe that the, the Christian Bible is the word of God. I don't believe that Buddhism is the single word of God. You know, it's a, so you could, by doing that, you can still take all the great benefits of all these different philosophers. I mean, that's kind of what religion is to me. It's a bunch of different philosophies on um, basically where we're going, how this thing, what is this freaking thing? You know, what are we doing yeah. here? So I don't know. There's, I kind of lost track of where I was going there. <laughs> no, no. If you, if you allow me, if you allow me, I think you lost track because you took a huge bite out of the universe. I mean, I mean, I see, I see a piece of the universe gone with your teeth marks in it. I mean, that was, I mean, imagine, I mean, listen to what you just started off. I mean, you, you, you really took a, a metaphysical shotgun to my head just a second ago when you said the word of God. You know, when I hear a phrase like that, or when people are talking and they say things like that, usually the conversation keeps on rolling. What I'm saying is, let's take a moment to step back. The word of God. Let's pretend. I don't know what you mean by that. And by the way, I don't even need to pretend, because I actually don't know what to mean by that. What I do know is that it's an opportunity for us to, to spend a moment together and to use our active imagination and imagine, imagine what that is. What is the Word of God? I mean, that's such a powerful kind of... That, to me, pictorially, 
is a doorway, you know? And, and, and I think that if we had conversations more, less about definitions or defining things that we actually don't really have the definition for, what if we went ab- upon it like a journey? Like, imagine yeah. a bunch of artists and they say the theme, oh, the theme of the show is the Word of God. Make a painting. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's like, what, what, what does that look like? What does that feel like? What does that even mean? You know, it's, I think it's very powerful. I mean, you know, in the Bible, a lot of people criticize the Bible. Well, I totally understand why. But if you look at everything, a Bible, when you go for a walk to the park, the tree that you see, I mean, everything, and you look at it not as if you know what you're seeing, but as if you're trying to to, to hear what it's saying to you, not what you're in, imposing on it. You know, like the Bible says, in the beginning there was the Word. Well, if you ask most people, and you say the phrase, in the beginning, they'll say the light. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. And so what's so interesting is, the Word. And I thought to myself, that's poetry. You know what I mean? Like, what does that mean? Like, and I thought, well, you and I are discussing now in language. If you look at all these new studies about us just like really flipping out, because we used to think that we're the only species that communicate with the language. Now it turns out that dolphins and birds, I mean, they're all like, I mean, are they just chirping? No, there's a lot of communication happening. There's There's a lot lot of communication. You see, and that's very beautiful. And so in the beginning, there was the word. And then what is the word? And you look at DNA and sequencing. And these these repetition of these like four pillars, you know what I mean? These four different types of what is it enzymes and all these you know all this sort of in science. I mean, it's in a weird way if you look at it, it is quite biblical. I mean, the serpent on the staff and the and the 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 the, the shape of the D. I mean, when the Greeks came up with the with Hermes's staff, did they know that there was a DNA model? I mean, I don't know. I mean, it's the Greek crazy. came up with that. Wait, the Greek, the Greek came up with that that symbol. Really? Oh yeah, that's oh, what means this stuff. Oh yeah, shit, that is. Out. Oh man, I didn't even think about that. That's wild. Yeah, man, bro, that's his staff. When he put his staff, when he put his staff down, the the two warring serpents coiled around it oh, and stopped wow. battling. And and so 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 like it created like kind of a truce or a peace but that's a dna model right there yeah but that's wild that the the correlation between that symbol and the dna strain i never really connected that if you look at the vedic texts they know all this stuff yeah they know about microorganisms and ufos we don't talk about ufos they're all over the ancient text really and i guess um, apparently there's all these programs now of ancient astronauts, I haven't seen any of them, but I'm aware of them through my own personal studies. But, I mean, there's all kinds of amazing stories. And I think the point is, for me, not how much you know, which is important, of course, but what have you experienced? Like, what's the journey that you're on? I mean, we're ultimately, we tell each other stories. I mean, if something happens to you, what's your first inclination? You want to tell somebody about it. Yeah. I mean, if you were if you were in your apartment or your home, and suddenly 
this dwarf who runs into the closet, and you open up the closet, and he's not there. Well, the first thing he's going to do is that your your, your mind's going to go, okay, I imagine this, I drank too much, uh, you know what I mean? I have yeah. a tumor in my brain. Yeah. Uh, you know, you'll, you'll, but your intuitive sense will speak, no, that was an actual dwarf that just ran in your closet. Yeah, we. I, right? when I was talking to Chris Cooksey, we had a similar discussion, sort of, when you brought up UFOs, we both had experiences seeing UFOs. Uh, me when I was in like when I was like thirteen or fourteen, but him I think a little bit later in life, and once when he yeah. was earlier in life too. But I questioned that whole thing too. Like one when I saw it was it was really significant. It was like this. It was literally like a only a couple hundred feet off the ground, maybe just a hundred foot off the ground, and slowly going over the treetops across. But it was like I question that today, and I question like I question it was like, just my imagination. But it's to me. It's it's so real that it's hard to hard to even think that I could have conjured something like well, that. That's where that. the skepticism. That's where the skepticism is healthy because the moment you define something, it loses its power. See, the the moment something's known, and and what I mean by this is that you think you know it, right? Yeah. Because I I, I would argue that nothing could ever be truly known because everything is in a state of flux. But let's just yeah. say. That you, you you think you know something. It no longer holds any value, and you take it for granted. Like, today on the news, did you hear the announcer say, oh my goodness, we're so blessed, the sun is still shining. <laughs> <laughs> and when they talk about environmental change, they're talking about the economic impact. There's no real interface. There's no real appreciation for just the fact that every breath and every moment is a miracle. So no wonder we're depressed and crazy. And, and, and no wonder I'm so scared and I'm so full of faith that I can't tolerate anyone who doesn't believe in what I believe. You know, when I saw, when I was working on a series and I forced myself to listen to the news, which I, I, I wish I didn't do that to myself. Yeah. <laughs> if, well, I don't, normally watch television because I'm working, but I usually have the radio on and, you know, I'll just be flipping to the, you know, if there's news, occasionally I will put on music, but, but I either work in silence or I have some, uh, I want to know what's going on out there because I can feel it. So I, I, that's why I love working at night because in a weird way, it's an illusion. At least the immediate surroundings is in darkness, and most minds are kind of sleeping, so there's a kind of a... You know, I'm just all probably my own imaginative process. That is it just deep, feels, though. I like that. Because I, I agree with you. A lot of people agree with you. It is, it's something something kind of, like, peaceful about creating things at night. Much more peaceful than creating in the day. It's almost as if we're... It's almost as if, like, imagine... When I'm working in my studio, I can, with my mind, I can penetrate through the walls and go into other people's homes and imagine right. them sleeping. <laughs> so naturally, I'm going to feel that they're dreamy. Wow. So okay. that's going to create a context. You see what I mean? And and what happens is, as you begin to do this, your your ability to s- stretch further and further out becomes more and more, you know, it's like a muscle. So, you, I, and I mean, you have to know about the home's, around you, you know what I mean? And the plants and the and all the critters and animals moving around. So you know? Are you talking about like you know 
are you talking about like astral projection? Are you like, are you literally thinking you're projecting yourself in another area or is this a, a creative experiment? Every time I get literal, I, 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 <laughs> 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 I got to call triple A. You know? I, mean, I, I go off the road. I mean, like, you know, I, I, you know, I'm just, I'm speaking with to you directly. So, so literal, I mean, am I literally astral projecting? I mean, what I will say as far as more defined is that when I, when I am imagining the things around me, not directly seeing it with my eyes, but with my mind, there is an inner map okay. that, that is actual, you know what I mean? Now, have I had experiences where I felt like I, my, I was out of my body or this sort of thing? Of course. First of all, who is I? You know what I mean? Like, that's what I would... I mean, you know, when I told you about the child that I once was, I no longer am, obviously my cells have regenerated themselves. And so there is some kind of strange pattern that is me. I mean, you can tell from a photograph, oh, that was a younger you. But the weird thing is that nothing of the person in that photograph and the person that I'm staring at right now is similar. I mean, not, not a single hair, not a single, single name, nothing. You know, all the, all, all the components that made you up as a baby are gone. You've been replaced, you know. You're, 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 every single cell of your body, and this is what science, science trips me out. You know, when they say things like this, I'm like, I don't know if I'm if I if my body is a container and there's some sort of pilot, like I'm some kind of mecca, and there's this like little me in alchemy. And there's like this little, uh, I think they call it a home monoculus. It's like this little you, <laughs> like somewhere inside the bigger you, and it, you know, <laughs> talking to you is like taking LSD. It really is. I haven't taken LSD since oh. I was my twenty. It's since I was like young twenties. But the, the only time I've had these type of experiences was on mushrooms or LSD. Where, what you're talking about, I've totally felt, but never in my normal, uh, uh, like sober self. You know, it's always like this. this That's interesting you say experience. that because people who are on psychedelics or LSD um, enjoy my company. <laughs> 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 I would have loved it. You would, you would have. Oh my god, man! You would have started a journey in my head that would have been just amazing. I'm if not was trying like, to. I'm not trying to be. Uh, uh, this is how I am. So this is. I'm not trying to 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 to. Uh, you know what I'm saying? Be be sort of contrived. And, no, I mean, it sounds like, natural I, to I'm, me. I'm really seriously asking these questions. Yeah. <laughs> it sounds so natural to me. It doesn't sound like this is like something you're trying to put on a show. And that's why it's it's so genuine and, and real to me. Like that's why like you're taking me. You you literally took me on a, on a, just a journey. And the first thing I thought about was like, man, this was like an LSD experience. Because when you said you had, when you said you were like, have I ever felt like I was out of my body? Of course. When you say "of course," so just casually, a lot of people will be like, "What do you mean, of course?" Of course, like I've never felt like I was just out of my body, except when I was on LSD. But well, it, I've had that sensation, but I don't know what that is. That's the, that is that's where the realm of art comes into play. It's how we it's it's how we interpret it. Like you know, when you see these incredible paintings of like um, of the spirit coming out of the guy's nostrils and. I mean, all kinds of stuff. And the wavelengths. I mean, visionary is basically 
a multi-tiered term. I mean, on one hand, it's painting the sixth sense. It's painting what's invisible, but actual. I mean, people answer their cell phones, and I just, to this day, don't know how people just don't trip out. <laughs> because because there's a beam going into the damn phone. <laughs> I know. And, and, you think about that and, and somebody's <laughs> essence is in that beam. I mean, this is uh, just like... Yeah. I don't know how people can order a coffee and talk on the cell phone and be like, not like, <laughs> we're inside this little box and it's so creepy. I mean, this is, it's, it's, it's amazing to me of like what magics we just think is whatever. Yeah. yeah. And other, other magics are like, like, for instance, I'll give you a perfect example. Whose design are we in now? You wanted to, we're having this talk because you designed it. Yeah. Not only did you design it, but you had an intuitive notion that this would be a very interesting journey. Yeah. In other words, was that precognition? Did you have some kind of future kind of insight? I mean, it's kind of interesting because I feel myself right now I didn't know where this talk was going to go or even if I even wanted to have a talk. I mean, quite <laughs> frankly, I'm not in the mood to speak to anybody right now. Okay. And look at us. Look at how good feeling it is. And we're on this Willy Wonka boat. Yeah. And, and I didn't know that the Willy Wonka boat was going to come out and <laughs> you, you and I were going to step on it and go into, you know, into the depths of Hades. And the Willy Wonka boat is the best boat to be on. Come on. That's, that's the one you want to be on most of the time. That's, that's the fun boat. You don't want to be in the. Well, world. I agree with you. I mean, normally I'm a wreck, but then when I have a conversation with with someone like you, I feel totally normal. Good. good. <laughs> so so I, I I'm saying thank you. You know, this is it's it's very um you know, not only do I appreciate it, but I know that many of my esteemed and amazing colleagues, we appreciate beings like you. I mean, you you are part of the artistic process in a way that I don't know if you realize just how vital your contribution and your interest and your and 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 this whole podcast is um is, is a creation is your creation. And you're you're giving voice to what's hidden, to the voiceless yeah. or to the maybe the obscure and and that is amazing. Yeah, you know, I created the podcast I want to listen to. Basically, that's uh, it's that simple. I was like, I want to know what the hell these people have to say because okay, it's like check look- this out. Watch that. This is magic. You created the very thing that you wanted to listen to. So, so in other words, <laughs> you, well, no, hold on. Okay, well, th- that's one part of your mind maybe defining that, but in actuality, that's the definition of magic. You became what you needed. Yeah. Okay. Isn't that, isn't that amazing? You created, you felt that you wanted something to exist, and it didn't, so you you gave life to it. Yeah. You began, you're, you're working on it. And see, that's very difficult to have a conversation about such a thing with a purely contemporary kind of societal mode. I yes. mean, that's, there's no college for that, for, 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 for what you're doing. You know, this is... This is what's, you know, uh, invention. This is in the realm of being innovative and creative and, and, and thoughtful. 
And, and I think that this is something that, you know, we need to take time to recognize in one another because we're not doing a good job by enjoying not only our own journey, but each other's. I mean, I think that that would be a criticism I have of not only myself, but in general, my experience. I mean, we need to remember where art really began, and it began with the campfire. I mean, that's oh, the first. Oh, wow, yeah. That's the first ring of fire. That's the first. You imagine you're all tripped out, half starved, everything is buzzing, everything's alive, and you have a campfire going. It's the first time you've ever. I mean, you're just you're all digging this. You have a and then like it's creating all these shadows and reflections off the cave wall. I mean, <laughs> I mean yeah. no wonder we invented the bow and arrow. I mean, that's what tripped <laughs> out. You imagine the bow and arrow? I would have never in a hundred years or a thousand or, you know, obviously we did come up with the bow and arrow. That is yeah, that is insane. Most inventions are insane when you think about it. Like Joe Rogan has a joke about it where he says, I'm going to put you on an island with an axe and like say some matches, build a cell phone. It's like, oh yeah, like how the hell yeah. does anybody create anything? But there's just there's a, you get these gifted people that just pop into the world. They just pop into the world, and because yeah. like in back when there was just fire and they just had clubs and they had spears, and they had, but they would just have like one weapon for sometimes a hundred thousand years until somebody was born that was really fucking smart and had the idea, hey, we should put a stick with some intestines on it. Or had a visionary experience. Or you know, have, yeah, I mean, imagine, much... imagine you're tearing, you're tearing into some intestines with your teeth and you're just, everyone's just gorging themselves. I mean, one of your family members is crushed. The other one's been pulverized, you know, and another one's got a broken arm and they're, and, 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 and might not make it, but the rest of you, and suddenly you're digging into this intestine and this strand kind of stretches from your hand to your mouth and you take your other <laughs> finger and you kind of just go bong, bong, bong. That makes a sound. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and right there you have what's called resonance. And oh. and it just, it's just tripped out. I mean, like imagine that. And then imagine like you, 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 as you stretch it, it snaps back. You know what I'm saying? And, and, and who knows how it all manifests and, and, you know, you get instruments and, and uh, you know, imagine the first rock band, literally. You know? <laughs> but in a weird way, in our genes, whatever that is, and in, our, in what makes us what we are, there is this strange inner knowing of what was, once was, what is, and what will be. And, and... And we don't know, we, we put words on it. Like, for instance, what's the difference between fate and destiny? I mean, you know, like, I, when I was a kid, I didn't understand language at all. My, the way I think is totally pictorial. I think in a completely different fashion than most people that I grew up with or was around. And it was very hurtful and disorienting. I mean, like, I remember trying to learn how to read. And it was the most tripped out thing I've ever seen. I remember wow. one of my first words, cat. I mean, I, I almost, I remember it so well, it happened a moment ago. No way. And, wow. yeah, and I remember seeing the word 
that seeing, no, I remember seeing these symbols or these marks, and somehow this means cat. I mean, I was just too tripped out. I mean, the C did not, I didn't know it was a C. It was like a moon to me. And, and, and the A looked like a pyramid when I was a, I was nuts for Tutankhamun, like in first grade. Yeah. And, and, and like the T looked like a tree. And so it was really weird for me. I didn't understand, you know, sounds and how to make sounds. So then I, I had to, what happened was, as my ability to, of pictures grew, so did my memory. So at first I created a memory of, of sounds and how they're spelled. So I had to remember how a word is spelled. So the sequence of these strange, you know what I mean? Like I couldn't, like I couldn't sound out a word I'd n- never heard before. Yeah. Have you ever heard of synesthesia? You know what synesthesia is? Sounds like a terrible bar I visited. <laughs> nah, it's actually an awesome, it's probably one of the coolest things you could have as a human being. So what it is, synesthesia is, is like numbers, words are, you don't recognize them as nor, as other people recognize them. They, they recognize them as in color or shapes and so forth. And these people with synesthesia are able to do incredible feats of mathematics or um, other other things that, that normal people couldn't do because we think in a process of, of language and words, of, of symbols. But these people think in a way of more organic shapes and colors, like kind of like you were, what you were talking about. Like when they hear certain sounds, sounds will create a color. Yeah. So like a somebody, like they hear whatever, and it'll be like blue flashing in their head. Same thing will yeah. happen with numbers and so forth. Um, I didn't know if that well, my vein similar side, to my you... vein side wants to say yes, but my, my the real <laughs> side says anything that I can't do anything incredibly. So <laughs> I don't have, I don't have, I mean, I do have my own personal, um, experience, which I try to articulate and convey. And, and yes, I do see words and, and numbers and things where the, where they shouldn't be or or aren't. Like, when I read a page, every word at the page jumps out at me at the same time. So I have to... And sometimes uh, certain words stick out, and then I'm reading a whole subtext that doesn't exist. So then I have to, like, wipe my eyes and shake my head and say, okay, uh, can you just read what the author wrote and not what you're creating? <laughs> <laughs> And, you know, I mean, sometimes I talk to people uh, that aren't there and, and I literally see them and, you know, all this sort of thing. And, and that's when it gets a little spooky because there's a difference between active imagination, psychosis, and a visionary experience. And it's really hard to tell the difference of all these things, you know. And, and, and in, you know, also to live by a standard that's not we seek to be reflected. And I think a lot of the things, a lot of our, a lot of people might appear ambitious or this or that, but in the end, even an ambitious person who has been sort of formed to acquire a certain level of achievement or goods or success, everybody wants credit where credit's due. And if they don't, have any credit for anything, sometimes they steal it. And, and, but what is this? I mean, why do we, why, maybe it's because each of us is asking that question of who are we? I mean, maybe in, 
maybe really behind our dictionaries and our libraries and our internets and our latest fashion design and our tastes and movies and all that. Maybe what's really behind it all is the secret notion that we're distracting ourselves. Maybe, well, I really loved what I think it was Picasso that he said that, that um, art is a lie that leads to the truth. Yeah. Or something like that. That's... I remember it was something so profound like that. It was this idea that art is, an, is a form of trickery. And, and what I mean by art, I mean, come from the word, right? Artifice or from the hands, what we make. You know, you know and that's what it's about. I mean, that's, it's the, you know, ancient cultures had totally different notions of making art. Like, you know, I believe it was the Toltecs. What's the Toltecs? They, they, they're, they're a, a group in, in Mexico. And, you know, like the Mayans and all this sort of thing. Okay. And the, the Aztecs and all this sort of, well, in different cultures, they make art for different purposes. Like, imagine imagine the notion of making art to feed the invisible ones. Oh, you make yeah. it for the invisible world. And so you cultivate this whole other, you know, it's like, you don't have gallery shows. You have altars, mm-hmm. you know? And you have, and you have this interface between, you know, we can't readily... I mean, not everyone can pick up a Nautilus shell and see the design so clearly. You know, just the complexity of life and how it's organized. If if you can even use that word, because the relationship is so more synergetic than than just merely organizing, like in a file cabinet. I mean, it is a form of reflection and relationship. Now, reflection is, when I bounce you back at you, when I actually listen to what you're saying and hear it and feel it and allow it to, to, to take hold or take an effect, and then whatever is produced from that, I share back at you. And suddenly I say something that's poignant or of interest to you or, or helpful, you know? I'm not just creating a cliche and saying, Oh well, you know you have was it post uh, dramatic syndrome? What do they call it? You know, post traumatic syndrome. The yeah, PTSD? yeah, like to a soldier. You know, yeah. like um, you know, when these in my last show, the Chronic Reader series, and um, I hope you don't mind if I reference my show. No, I want to talk about it for a moment. There's so much deep um, shit in there. I want to talk about it. I didn't realize how deep it was until I watched that video. Then I was blown away at oh, all that the was, meanings thank and everything. You. Um, we, I, not the, that talk, but we gave a second talk, which was where I went more in depth with the pieces. And I, because I was asked to, and I was so reluctant to do so because I, I was kind of, you know, embarrassed about it. You know, to, I thought maybe I'm the least person to talk about it. You know. Okay, interrupt you real quick because I want to say, like, your artwork needs you to explain it. You know what I mean? Like, I didn't. I, I after explaining it, your artwork just like bloomed. It was like this whole another experience to me. Before I was looking at it, I was like, oh, these are really great paintings. I didn't realize the the, the journey you were on. Well, I appreciate that. I mean, that was what I was kind of. That was what was expressed to me, but you know that the um, that the actual artist 
and the actual person that made the works is not always the same person. And what I mean by that is I'm not trying to be cryptic or create this kind of false narrative. I'm actually attempting to be very accurate. You know, the one who creates the work or, or who you are while you are working, it's an entirely different experience than when you're in front of a bunch of people and you suddenly have, you're the one that everyone's looking at because, you know, when I'm making my work, I'm not thinking about, uh, you know, this is what this is. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's, it's an entire experience. And, and I do find that there's a difference between the me that has to deal with society and the repercussions of my actions and the me that's in the studio. And they don't always speak to each other, actually. These, they're actually, in my experience, they're almost, in some cases, different people. The one who makes these works and who can talk about these works doesn't have the same needs or concerns as the one who wants to be liked by people. You know what I mean? All right, yeah. <laughs> you, know, you know, when you're in front of people, you want them to smile at you or... You know, I mean, I don't want someone to hit me or or attack me or something like this, you know? Mm-hmm. And the one who creates these works, you know, and suddenly people will ask you questions, you know? Like, th- this one lady, she she asked me a question about um, one of my paintings, and this was in front of a bunch of people. And, you know, I, I'm, um, I've been told that I'm a very polite person. Uh, and all this sort of thing. But then when I start talking about my works, it's a whole different, sometimes a different voice comes up. And people, I mean, I, I can't even tell you how strange people are to me, let alone <laughs> how I'm to them. People come up to me and say, you don't look like you made these works. Really? That's a weird and thing to say. I don't know what that means either. I don't know what that even means. How am I supposed to look? Yeah. I'm supposed to have a phone through my nose or, <laughs> you, know, you know, I'm supposed to have a mohawk or, I mean, like, you know, I don't need to advertise that what I am. It's neat. You know? and so, I mean, I try to, obviously I have no fashion sense either. So it's hard, <laughs> but, you know, the, the point is, she asks me this question in front of all these people about one of my paintings. And, and, and this is, let me just show you how true this is. She, it's the painting called um, Annunciation, and it was in the Chronic Creator series. And it's the painting that depicts the, the angel and the, and the, the, the woman uh, angel, kind of, you, you could call it, uh, uh, you know, about to strike a dragon yeah. and a man on the floor. Okay, so Ask me a question about this piece, and this is we're doing like a Q and A. Uh, this is after a talk, and um, I had told everybody that my original um, intention was to do. I, I felt intuitively a Saint George kind of concept, mm-hmm. and to my great surprise, the picture changed. You know, very dramatically. Excuse me. Um, I mean, there wasn't this night on a horse saving a maiden, you know, something what you see now, which is completely different. And so, you know what the question she asks me is, why was her um, pussy shaved? 
<laughs> it's a good question. Why is it shaved? Why? <laughs> and, 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 and she, and it wasn't just that she asked that question. It was how she asked it. Uh... <laughs> she felt totally fine. There was no hesitation. To me, I was, I was stunned. And so what happened was suddenly the me that I guess the, the awkward me, you know what I mean? Uh-huh. I, I saw myself looking at her, if that makes any sense to you. Okay. And, and I could see suddenly so many things happen in split of a second. If you were to measure the ability to actually make a choice or to have free will, it's only a fourth of a second long. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, you, you you think like, and then after that, you're on a program. Oh, that makes complete sense to me. The neurology is actually kind of based on that right now. Where it's hard to talk to people about that, but how much we're on autopilot is actually based in science right now within within brain science neurology. Your actual moments where you actually can change a program is only a fourth of a second long in durations. So suddenly, um, when I was when I answered her, I could immediately see that before he even spoke a word, she subconsciously, and I mean subconsciously in the sense of I saw the expression of her face, but I knew she didn't know. She knew that a switch had occurred. <laughs> That's knew, wild. But it was like a second of perception, right? And so the way I answered her was like this. How many of our troops come home can't recognize themselves in the mirror? And she kind of just looked at me like, what? And I could see that in her brain. Her brain was, I want to know about the pussy hair. Why is why did you paint her without any pussy hair? And answer, how many troops come home that can't see their reflections in the mirror does not compute? No, it's not psychedelic. <laughs> yeah, but I actually then I continued and and I answered the question. So um, when they look in the mirror, they no longer see their reflection; they see the face of the dragon. And you're excited. Your boyfriend's home, husband's home. So what do you do? You shave your pussy. <laughs> what if you shaved your pussy hair for your? And he didn't even notice. And she just does not know where this is going. I mean, just completely freaking. And I tried to express to her the fact that obviously I can't answer your, you know, the question of of, of why this figure aesthetically. I mean, you're looking at this thing in parts. You know, I mean, it doesn't have any pussy hair because that's exactly what it should look like. You know what I mean? Yeah. If if you want to ask such a question. Of these types of works, you have to adopt an entirely different way of feeling and thinking. And, and you know, suddenly, I mean, the huge discovery of the man at the floor with his half his head in the stream of water, with the scratch of the dragon, the wound on him, you know, and, and this whole notion of disillusionment and, 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 and dissolving. And and suddenly, you know, the drive and see its own reflection, roaring, like thinking that it's another dragon, suddenly it's pacified, you know? She takes the head right off. I mean, 
who's taking a very literal answer to this? It's a manifestation of pictures or forms that actually create a synthesis. And what is the synthesis? And from the misery and from the tumultuousness of living, you know, we fall from grace. You know, what is grace? How do you answer a question like that from somebody? Oh, she was unwilling to see the entirety of what was occurring. She didn't ask, why does the guy have a black um, uh, sash uh, covering his groin? Why is his, why is his cock exposed, right? I, I go crazy about these details. It's not like I don't know why she, her pussy hair, she, I mean, I'll go nuts about her fingernails. I did have a moment in my studio where I was like, I, suddenly I have the vision of him on the ground, you know? And suddenly I realize he's a knight. And he's a warrior. And, and, and what's the story of, you know, St. George? And I went in all this, you know what I mean? Like, after he cured the town of their ills, they cursed him for it. I mean, we want the janitor. We want the... Uh, we treat our heroes like janitors. We want them to clean up our, the mess, but then get the hell away. We don't want to see the blown out pieces, the missing limbed bodies, Many other problems, you know, and we just want to have these action heroes that, you know, I mean, a classic, you know, where he has a cut over the eye. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, well, like one small cut, kind of bleeding a little bit, maybe on the cheekbone. That just bleeds like there's nobody's business, you know, it's, it's, it's just madness to me. It really is, and, and that's where, what comes out of these pictures is a sense of, how does one, how does one make sense of this? You know, and, and can one live without sense? Can one live? Can one suffer meaninglessly? I personally can't. Like I need to find the meaning. Otherwise, it's not worth it. Why make a picture? Why? Why do a drawing? Why? Why? Why even? struggle it if it's all meaningless i mean in the end there will be nothing left of this world i mean forget about our species continuing or not in the end the sun will exhaust itself the sun is the thing that eats itself yep. and it will exhaust itself and expand you know, like a red-blooded uh, giant and it will instantly consume mercury um, swallow up Venus and scorch everything on Earth. Mm -hmm. Every museum, every monument, every species. It's, it's so unusual how we're like so connected to things that are going on. I mean, I, I did a, um, a mural in a home for um, this couple and the, she was expecting twins and they wanted a jungle room. And it was around 2004, and I was very excited about this commission. And it was, for me, a lot of money at the time. I did like $3,000. I mean, it was like, I really felt like I was a scoundrel, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and they were very pleased with the end result. It was a lot of work. I mean, I, not only did I did all the walls, I did the ceiling. Oh, wow. I mean, I did jungle room. Well, would you know that this was for Elon Musk's children? This is for Elon Musk? Elon. Is that what you just said? 
Yeah. Oh, wow. That's incredible. And, and many years later, his dream of, of pioneering into space is, a, is occurring. Yeah. And, and it was great to see his face on Time magazine, all this stuff. And I thought, it's so incredible how we're so interconnected. And you're, you're sometimes connected to individuals, really giants or or amazing individuals, you know what I mean? That are that are that are you know like I, when I worked at the Norton Simon Museum um, for many uh, for, for for many many months, I got the opportunity to, to work as a prep briefly. I took Van Gogh's painting of his mother to if you go to the Norton Simon ever uh, in Pasadena and, and you see it on the walls. I took that painting out of the frame. Wow! You know, I got to touch. Van Gogh's painting. How powerful was that? I would be moved. It, 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 we are not separated. <laughs> you know? We are, you know, we are, we are connected to one another. I mean, I, you know, some of the people that you've interviewed, I've had shows with. I've been on the, I've been mixed. I've been on the walls with. And I consider them with the same feeling that I do with the angels that I just told you, you know what I mean? Whether, you know, and, and there's a sense of, um, we think that fame and fortune is, is the new nobility. It isn't. Hmm. It's the individuals. It's the amazing people who, who strive to do something meaningful, who wrestle with skepticism and they, and they wrestle with the, with the difficulties of our modern existence, and they do something that even for a moment, although it nothing is permanent, they leave something behind for the rest of us to appreciate. And I find that to be noble, and I am very thankful in my own small way that I'm doing my part. I mean, like I am leaving things behind. You know, I don't know. You know, what their value is is based on yours and other people's opinions. But for me, the value of making these works and interacting with these people outweighs the the pain and the doubt and the fear. You know, I mean, I, I was told I was not one of these um, refrigerator kids that, you know... He farts on a page and it's put on the wall. You know? <laughs> yeah. I was, I was um, almost in a, I would consider ruthless manner, uh, uh, dissuaded uh, to, you know, and, and told that I had a, uh, no talent. Um, you know, I was, oh yeah, I was always the, you know, I was told, um, check this out for magic. My mother's superior, when I was in first grade, I remember her sitting me down, and she put her arms on uh, on my shoulders and said that I, basically I was retarded. Whoa! <laughs> she tells me that they're going to hold me back, and because I I'm not mature, it's because I was tripping out on this cat word and all this. <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine after I graduated? Um, that school, I did not see her, um, and she's a wonderful being. So I didn't mean to 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 say any 
is being negative. I'm just saying that I had that experience. I mean, that they did that to me, right? Mm-hmm. Well, many years later, she, I would see her again, and she came. I hadn't seen her like in twenty something, maybe almost thirty years. She put her arms on my shoulders and just wigged out. What do you? What'd she do? She considered. I mean, she she kissed my hands. She considered me a theologian. Uh, was what? completely yes. Uh, um, she before I did the Chronic Creator series, her and another nun came to my home and blessed the whole thing. Wow. And they were just and and it was completely had nothing to do with religiosity and all this sort of thing. It was it was not this kind of. It was true heart connection and true intention. Like, did that just heal a wound? When that happened, was that like, well, that pain inside of me is no longer there. Like, even if it was subconscious, you don't even think about it anymore. Like, her now recognizing you after once calling you, saying you had, like, Down syndrome or something like that. By definition, if you were to achieve a masterpiece in your life, that would mean that every single thing that had occurred to you, every single mistake, every step, everything was actually absolutely perfect because yeah. you created a masterpiece. And obviously a masterpiece is the synthesis of a, the complete totality of everything that you are about and more. It's and in other words, it's a, it's it's what they call in alchemy a conjunctive experience. It's it's a it's 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 a spark. Two polar opposite or or the circle completes itself. You know that kind of divine moment in which you've completed something. Do you see? And and it resonates. So I mean, and you think about the various masterpieces that, that we have um, anywhere from. The Leonardo da Vinci's works and and famous drawing of man and the Mona Lisa to, to Michelangelo's the, the Sistine Chapel um, and the Last Judgment. I mean, come on! Um, you, uh, you have these moments in which it transcends the actual time period, the man, the moment, and it is a part of the human family's contribution. To, to to its unfolding consciousness, which in some ways is happening within a universe that must in itself be conscious or creating the opportunity for consciousness to occur. That 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 maybe maybe things are a lot more profound and exciting and dynamic and meaningful than we realize. Then maybe maybe that all of our religions and our sciences and our inventions are just at the very outer edge of what actually is about to unfold. When we have conversations like this, when two people, such as yourself and me, are having this moment together, at least I feel a sense of optimism, which I am thankful of that you are with me in this conversation. Not all conversations get optimistically. No. Sometimes I get off the phone and I think that that Neanderthal that I just spoke to is the reason why 
if I had the power of Godzilla, I'd wipe out the whole human race. <laughs> and there, but what you just said is is it's um it's a growing theme, and I think a lot of people are recognizing. It. A lot of people are kind of seeing through what was once considered our natural reality. A lot of people are just are kind of expanding and realizing maybe because you, of, of course, because of the sharing of knowledge. But um, I, I am also optimistic as long as the major powers with all the weapons don't fuck us all over. I think as a greater majority of the world, I have a huge optimism of what, what can be accomplished as long as our fucking overlords don't nuke us. Just don't nuke us. Yeah. I think this thing can really, really work out. You're a creator, and and you're, you're someone who recognizes other creators. You're giving creators a platform, and you're creating that platform. You're a creator, and you're doing other things. I'm sure this is not... I'm sure you do many th- uh, different things. And I, and I see... You are the magic that is that we seek in this world. I mean, you're you created. You're a part of it. Magic is is doing what you're doing. It's feeling the way that you're feeling, creating and hoping that things can can you know that we don't that the crazy ones don't wipe us out because you want to have a little more time yeah. to love and live and create. And that's a very beautiful notion. And there's another kind of consciousness that is what I call of the dragon. And we don't want to interface with it. We want it in a box. We want to suppress it. We want to, you know, I mean, it, and that's the problem. You know, I really do believe that one needs to take responsibility, do the shadow work. You know, we need to really recognize in us the destroyer. I mean, you, you need the destroyer, you know, the destroyer, if it's understood and if you're in a relationship with it, it can be part of that vital energy. You know, I remember when I was doing the original Demon Eater, in his hand was a huge spinal column and a brain and then these snakes with these eyes and, and intestines and, and a heart and, and a whole thing. I mean, all of this gone. Suddenly, he said to me, I don't want any of that. And it all turned into a knife. And in the reflection of the knife was my portrait. And even then, no to. And in the end, he has an empty palm. And all that I've seen it turned into this green kind of plasm that gets sucked into the center, into the central darkness, into the, that kind of vortex. And it was such a lesson to me. And so many of the things that we learn, again, quoting Picasso, in the end, we see only the discarded remains. In the end, we only see, when you look at works of some of the other artists that you have interviewed, and you see these beautiful pieces in front of you, there were so many possibilities and imagery that came to them that they changed and they moved around and, and, and the whole, and, and in the end you only see what is left. And it's such a different way. I mean, it's so, it's such an amazing process and it changes the way you think you feel beyond just making pictures and, and being known for making pictures, which is a, a huge, or, or sculptures, which is a huge honor, which is a huge achievement in itself. And then the new question is, what are you doing next? 
you know, imagine if my art form was designing new weaponry. And there's some masterminds you know, doing that too. Some of the weapons are insanely creative. There are some masterminds creating weapons. Like that's that's their art, creating death. Yes, yes, and 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 I mean, I'll give you a perfect example. Look at the masterpiece, the samurai sword. That thing is so gorgeous. It's so amazing. Learn that the curve of the samurai sword is actually at the final step. Yeah, it's like a bunch of folded metal. It's like really thin folded metal on top of one another. It's it's amazing. Yeah, you know how that weird bow curve at the last step. Yeah, when they and that's just to me like what and and the sword was designed to be the most effective, the most surgical, and the most deadly. I mean, those things are so sharp, it's insane. And then when you read this book. Um, I read this book uh, by Miyawaki Musashi, the book of rings and all this sort of stuff. And um, suddenly he gets into the art of sword fighting, and there's no anything. So if you know one thing well, you know 10,000 things. And suddenly he started like, farming and like doing all calligraphy. And like, you know, if he could apply. He went so deep. He even had like what you would call a disembodied experience. Like when he was sword fight, the thing was in slow motion. You know what I mean? Like, you know, when 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 we fight with swords, it's a chaotic mess. He <laughs> saw complete order and symmetry. He he could hit any area that he wanted. He could cut your ears off. The point is, the consciousness of the level of perception that he acquired and the skillfulness at sword fighting transcended the actual concept of killing somebody into something more much more deep and powerful and so yeah its own poetry its own its own like rhythmic dance it's like you can just watch it like it's an art form just watch put somebody on stage and have them hack through a bunch of people and just imagine just amaze that they how fluent and uh, talented he is at just slicing people up. <laughs> exactly. And, you know, you have to think to yourself, you know, if, if you're going to become an artist and you are an artist and you meet older artists, and re- I've met some individuals that are just huge. I mean, they're famous. And um, they give you an inclination of what to expect. I mean, imagine, imagine if, you know, you, you were to to be a famous as some of these characters, you know. What's shocking is, you know, some of them are, you know, it's not the majority are actually, you know, kind of miserable. Really? <laughs> and, and, well, let's just say that it doesn't get easier for anybody. And, um... You ask yourself, you know, is there a way to not only do great art or to be successful or to really tap into something that is transformative and 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 shapes the collective in in and and gives the collective a whole new genre of manifestations that could not have occurred without you uh, or or your work. Um, for example, like someone like H.R. Uh, Beggar, 
you know, I was just in Switzerland recently, and I had a great opportunity to have a conversation with Marco, who is a um, really nice person, and, and he, he works with Geiger, and we were chance to meet and have a wonderful conversation. And it was really interesting because it was Jim's birthday um, while okay. I was there. And and he was telling me, Marco was telling me, that Geiger, um, he's struggling with his work and to be known, to be recognized, uh, you know, as an actual, one of the most important artists, uh, you know, that we, you know, that we've had, you know, know, and and imagine a guy like that having these types of issues and then, you know, younger artists such as myself and artists even younger than me, but the the mountain uh, that's facing us, you know, it's almost insurmountable. I mean, it's like, this guy's a giant and he's still getting volcanic rocks thrown at him and indignation and, and, and struggling, you know, and, you know, the point is, you know, you would think, well, minute, he's famous, you know, he, he did aliens. I mean, he's influenced, you know, a whole genre of art and, you know, and yet we fail to realize that he's a human being, a, a man struggling you know, with his work and his career and his life, just like any other. So what I was thinking was, we all know that this is on one hand a business, and it's really harsh um, business in that regard as well. And and we know from all the stories of has and the have-nots and all this sort of thing. We also know that there's a possibility that there's this typical dynamic. I mean, in a weird way, can one gain an enlightenment, what that means, or a personal freedom, or are we always bound by the critics or by the society uh, that we're in? I mean, are we, are we always left to the whims of the handlers? Yeah. To have? You know what I mean? Like, or is there something, like, can I be successful without societal success? or without fame, or without knowledge. I mean, very profound question as one continues one's work, because as you continue your work and you have more and more shows and the stakes get higher and higher, it gets more and more challenging because you don't have as much wiggle room. You know what I mean? Or, you know, suddenly you might take yourself too seriously or suddenly, you know, you, you get inundated and you get tempted and you can get lost. And I really love the way of looking at this thing as ultimately what I do believe it is in the end is a journey. But like you're not just becoming a great artist. It shapes you as a great human being. And I really love this idea of earning one's name, like in the native American traditions or, you know, like the path of becoming a human being. What I mean, what does that, what does that mean? That kind of innate nobility. Yeah. You know, that consciousness, that compassion. Perhaps one could even equate, you know, the Christ consciousness or the or the Buddhist perspective. Not the not the practice, not not all of that gobbledygook that we can get lost in. You know, what the old saying, if you see Buddha at the side of the road, kill him. I mean that's it's like if we get if we get caught up in the in the robes, in the masks, 
we lose the point of what they represent or what's supposed to invoke. I mean, art is not just an object of acquisition. It's, it's an interface. Yes. It's an unseen into the invisible, you know, into the, into the possibilities, into the potentialities, you know? I mean, what is sacred art? What is sacred? What's sacred? Well, by definition, something that's sacred has no economic value because it's beyond value because it's sacred, right? You can't buy something that's sacred, right? I mean, technically. I mean, so we do have, at least on the very push to the very outer edge, a notion of value beyond economics. What does it mean to do to, to be sacred, to have a sacred sensibility? That some things are non-negotiable. That's what's immortal. It's that... It's that aspect of you that is you now, even though the child of who you once were no longer exists. That pattern that makes you, it's, it's sacred. You, you, I can't... Oh, sorry, go on. Sorry. <laughs> no, no, this, this is the great thing about podcasts. I don't have a time limit. I'm not trying to meet any... I don't have any standards, like I said... So as long as you're open to it, I have another question. I want to talk about The Last Supper, that painting, because you said the whole thing's like this big zodiac, this uh, star chart and so forth. And I want to know how much you're into that and, and how influenced, like how long you've been influenced by that. After Illuminator, which was my second series, I had the vision, I guess you call it, of the Chronic Crater series. And at first I was terrified because I didn't know how I was going to do it. And the notion that I was, I felt that my own process, I don't know how to describe it to you, but wanted me to do a Last Supper painting really bothered the hell out of me because other artists have done, you know, Last Supper paintings I'm aware of. And what I'm also aware of is most of the time, you know, they do it in a mockery way where they, they you know, they impose their characters that are yeah. known in the places of these apostles or whatever, and, and there you go. Well, I was called to do something very different, which is even even more difficult, which was not to do a kind of a mockery or a kind of... Um, not that there's anything wrong with that. I think sardonic humor is really important. Um, you know... The, the sacred and the profane have a dance with each other. But um, yeah. I was called to do something, you know, much more according to my own process, which is I had to investigate this stuff. And I, it was, it was part of just, it was just the, the backdrop of what, you know, I was supposed to come up with. So I struggled. I mean, like I didn't really know do the apostles who are, you know, it was, does the Judea Christian viewpoint, where is that from? And what is it about? And why am I doing this? So I, I, I really went about it actively. And what manifested was the fact that for me, diving into these mysteries was at first you're dealing with a lot of different metaphors. So the first metaphor is your own, a map of your own inner psyche. Imagine inside your being basically a round table or a table 
and you have different aspects of your personality vying for control, right? So you have that notion of the superego, the head, the, you know, all these types of more clinical associations or definitions of different aspects of how we think. On top of that, you have a whole mythology based on the solstice of the sun. And, and the whole Christian myth is based on actually celestial movements. And, you know, the three days in the tomb, the three days in the wintertime, where the longest times of night, you know, all this sort of amazing stuff. And then the whole, um, a really quick story was, I told you about not recognizing my own reflection. When I was a little boy and I was in school, I really enjoyed uh, when I told my, you know, when I had that wonderful reunion dinner many years later with my um, principal, she asked me what was something really important uh, that I remembered. I said field trips. And we went to the observatory here in Los Angeles. Um, and when I was in the observatory and I saw, the map of space above me, that was the first moment in which I actually felt that I saw my reflection. I mean, I had a visceral moment in which, you know, when you're brushing your teeth and you're looking in the mirror, identical. These moments, for me, were very profound and stuck with me. So when I was working on The Last Supper, I instantly came to realize that all these, all these kinds of fantasies fantasy characters and all these were actually communicating with me. And, and I was putting this thing together and I, I knew certain components, but I didn't know why and I didn't know where and I didn't know how. And it just took a lot of relationship, a lot of putting together to the, to the realization. I mean, like a beautiful kind of inner geometry occurred suddenly the Christ figure in the center, I knew something was glowing, but I knew it wasn't the sacred heart, and I didn't know why, because typically you see pictures of the glowing heart and all this yeah. sort of thing. And in my vision, it was an eye. That was so profound, and suddenly when I knew that the grail or the cup was at him, then the tears came into the cup, and it was so profound. But there was a real, for me, it was really amazing when only until the very end did I realize why, for instance, there was no food on the table except for a knife and the cup. I mean, that was huge. And then I knew that there was a dragon and there were these three and it's so profound because suddenly, when I say profound, meaning that I knew that it was there, but I don't know why. And when I discovered why it made sense to me. So hence profound because there was an inner structure occurring that I'm discovering, and yet, you know, and the reason why there wasn't a secret heart in his chest is because it's a, I knew, before I knew the, the, the actual characters, I knew the construct of the painting, which would be four basically demon eater panels, four four by eight panels that snapped together, and um, vital to the composition and part of it, which was really strange, but it, it turned out... I realized why. So when you put all the panels together, if you notice that in the center, when the Christ figure or the son or the architect combines with the mother, wife, 
Madonna Luna character, and there's this little moon above her head, which is in the background, but you have to really see it. It's very subtle. And she's holding the Krishna Christ child. When when just combine, in the center is a single column. Now, that was significant because I had originally in my sketches had many columns, so I had seven columns because it was on the seventh day to be showing the series, and, and, and it's 12, 7, 12. So that this, even the number of the showing of the date of my show, I mean, it was all <laughs> imbued the design and the seven being also the stairway to heaven. And, and there's, you know what I mean? It was just like, it was wow, just so yeah. true. And, um, when I realized that it was a single column, that, that was so important to me because that column is the column of flagellation. It's the, like there's actually whip marks on the column and it's the ah. axis mundi. It's yeah, it's, it's, it's actually the axis mundi. It's the whole, and when, when the column comes together, at the top is a seal, and that's a stoned face god head emblem. So the seal comes together. The dragon reunites with his body. He, he, he's separated, and he becomes whole again, right? And what's so great is that when you look at the center, the arches form a giant heart. Okay. Yeah, I'm looking at it right when now. The, I see it. Yeah. The sun and the moon come together. To me, was really significant. It's a gigantic heart in the composition, and I just really dug that. I mean, that really, to me, told me that if you can metaphorically, if you can combine all these elements within yourself, and you can empty yourself completely of this, you gain what's called divine love. And th- that was, you know, a sort in a, in a weird way in the actual construct of the imagery and the design down to the last detail is actually like sentences or paragraphs in a story. And when they all come together, that piece resonates. What I hope is divine love, which is this. That's why the table's empty. They don't need to, there's, there's no substance needed at this point. They're, 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 they're archetypes. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. They're, they're beyond just, you know, they, they all hold symbols of their office. Like, you can see Saturn with his black ringed um, in his ear. You know, that he's the, the, the one sitting, the, 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 black, uh, the black-faced um, being, you know, the darkened one, you know what I mean? And, the, and you could see his symbol. And then you see all the different types of planets and, and which reflect different aspects of us, you know what I mean? And remember, someone asked me and said, where's Judas? And the horned one was not Judas, you know? Uh, th- that was actually experienced Judas. Uh, I didn't know that I had painted Judas in the painting. As if you look um, at the archetypal artist that's walking out of the uh, into another chamber, um, he holds a mirror, and in the mirror is my reflection. Well, that was Judas. Oh. That is Judas. Yeah, my own reflection. The why. I I had uh, three. I completed the series 
three weeks before my date, my show date, and I was dissatisfied with the series. There was something wrong. Now, you have to understand, I had been working, I painted the entire series in one year. It took me a year to put all the components together, but I basically painted, I started in December of 2011, and by, you know, November 1st of 2012, I was done. And, um, and what happened was the process was, um, told me I was, I was not finished, that there was a whole element missing. So I, um, I, by chance discovered this weird finish, which was a resin and it had this mirror like, uh, finish that really made sense for the series. And. I didn't realize what I was getting myself into, but then suddenly I take, you know, paintings that I've been working on for technically two years, and I start pouring this hot resin all over the oh, pieces. Yeah, and it was a nightmare. Ooh. And really, I would, I would mask. I would, you know, technically, it wasn't fetish, uh, uh, finish fetish, but I would master the technique but it, during the process i had thought I, I thought i had ruined my own series did you, oh did you and, have a breakdown did you have like a day or two of just mental breakdown thinking you just ruined your whole series in the month of november i didn't sleep <laughs> and i went into a complete meltdown and i tried to cancel the show and i oh, couldn't no. and i tried to get I, I mean i begged for um a colleague of mine to to rescue me, to bail me out. And I was forced to face this alone. I mean, in the end, you know, all the help that I had had or, you know, the, you know, I, I had to see it through. And I had a real experience, a feeling that I had betrayed my own work. Oh, in, the wow. end, okay. it, in the end, it turned out, to be perfect and exactly part of the process and now part of the story. But during the time I wanted to rip my eyes out and pull my teeth out. <laughs> and, and, and then I knew where Judas was. Yeah. Wow. That's awesome. I really love so, that. The last supper painting would literally take us hours and hours or days and days to talk about. Cause there are so many kinds of unfolding events in each detail and in the end, it is what it is. So, I mean, I, I, you know, a friend of mine asked me, he said, Have, did you ever stand in front of your painting and stare at it? And I said, no. I mean, I realized that I had been working so feverishly that I never spent the time to really look over everything. I was in, it was in such a different state of consciousness. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, it. And so it was amazing to be able to have the show up uh, at La Luz de Jesus just to view it. Because I had been, you know, I, I wasn't even half aware. But they have to understand that whatever I wrote or whatever I'm saying now is identical to somebody who went on a boat and, and went to an island and totally wigged out and saw a bunch of weird stuff and jumped back onto the boat and sailed back to port, barely made it, and told the story in some tavern with, like, a goblet half full of wine 
You know what I mean? It's not like a deliberate architectural map that I knew. It was more every single aspect is felt and experienced. And and art is very difficult. I mean, it's, it takes your guts and, and squeezes it. I mean, it's, I wish I could, you know, make pictures like some other people make pictures where it's more, they take elements, they put them together and, and it has a certain aesthetic appeal and they have such an amazing technical virtuosity that it pulls it off. Me, I, I actually have an eternal scene and then I try to manifest it externally and all this happens when I pull it out. Um, and sometimes I go to places that are terrifying. I mean, it's, to me, it's, it's, um, I guess it would be equivalent to people who, who I guess they go and they do, you know, a session of psychedelics or something, or, you know, you lose control. If you get deeper and deeper in the process, when you lose control, it can be terrifying. I've been there and it is. Yes. You're not in the engine room. I mean, you're right now in the, in the captain's chair. And it seems like smooth sailing, and you see the stars, you know what I mean? And, and you're killing time, and you've got a program, and you're giving orders. But when you leave the captain's chair, and you go down into the engine room, and you see that what's really powering the ship, and all the friggin' aliens and monsters roaming the whole way. Have you ever read it, that book, Incognito, The Secret Lives of the Brain? No, that sounds like a wonderful. What is it's, that about? Ooh, you should read that? it because a lot of what you've been uh, or talking about is in this book, and it's it's actually by a neurologist. It's, well, what you're saying is what neurology is all about right now. They they recognize that you that that captain in the chair, you're just a CEO, kind of making decisions in your body, but the the vast majority of what's going on throughout your day is all governed by that person in the engine room. And that person in the engine room is completely a unconscious or subconscious decision-making process or whatever. It, it, I love that. If I was a, if I was a science fiction writer, would, I would always make the engine room guy completely speak incoherently. <laughs> I, would never, I would always make it like nobody knows what the hell this guy is saying. You know, but of course, only afterwards would it make sense, you know, after you meet the gobbledygooks and, and you go down the wormhole, does the engine room make sense? I mean, like, what is the intelligence of the heart, you know? I mean, what that, that is the realm of the paradox, the, the, the realm of... And I think it's an artist's job to, in some ways, you know, to be very mercurial and go between the captain and the engine room and to really have an interface more, more, you know, more deep, deeply. Uh, and, and, but, you know, Hermes in the, in the Greek mythology, you know, he travels to the underworld. He's the only God, uh, in, of the Olympians that goes to Hades, except for, of course, Hades himself, but no, no, none of the other gods go down there. And it's so significant that that the messenger, the 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 pioneer, the what we call the visionary. I mean, we love. It sounds like such a positive term, you know, but you know, the visionary is like the poor chap that w had once been on the bridge, that suddenly you had forgotten about, and then he comes 
back up, you know, the doors open up, and he's, I mean, he looks like a mess, you know. <laughs> and, of, and, of course, he has in his hand, uh, he, he seems like, basically, you don't know if you're going to shoot him or he's going to shoot you. He, he's barely understandable. But then he pulls out a vital component that is just what everybody needs to get out of the sticky situation. And, you know, that's what, you know, Joseph Campbell talked about, you know, in the hero's journey about the hero coming back from the underworld with the golden apple or the redeeming, what the society needed, the, the redemptive quality of what the society needed. I mean, that's a Christian myth too. I mean, people forget, um, that before the whole Christ consciousness took hold in the human psyche, there was the whole Roman kind of imperialistic, pagan, crazy kind of, you know, worldview, and, you know, slavery and all this sort of thing. And, you know, it's arguable, yes, uh, if you were to look at the actual philosophy of, of this religious faith, or all the other, you know, or like in the, the Jewish mysticism, which is so amazing, and and the Muslim, uh, uh, I mean, they were amazing. They, you know, the, the history is so incredible. And, you know, the, the, imagine being a, a Muslim sailor and looking up at the stars, and you have like, you know, your... Uh, your your little device where you're navigating with the stars. I mean, and just, I mean, you imagine the feeling hearing in that awe and that wonder and that connection. Yeah, I mean, you imagine it. And then in science fiction, the problem with a lot of science fiction is it's a bunch of people having human drama in a tin can. Imagine if our actual environment, the actual location that we're in, has its own mind, and it shapes all the minds of the creatures that live in it. So the environment yeah. and the being in the environment are one and the same. It's not that there's just us. So in other words, we tend to think that we would still be human or from Los Angeles or from Russia when we go out into space. And the actuality is that the environment would change us. So you imagine like a science fiction picture or story that slowly the, the characters, you start off with them on Earth, and as they go deeper on their voyage and go into space, they begin to change by the very nature of space travel. And I think that in some ways, we're afraid of that change. We're afraid of change at all. And we try to create tradition and structure and order. And things are changing so fast and that we are in a process of constant changing. And I think that we need more stories about that. Yeah. And I think that the, there's nothing more beautiful than the caterpillar turning into the butterfly. I mean, that's just so incredible. I mean, do you think a caterpillar wants to become a butterfly? This process of life, if anything, is about change. 
is about you going through this. There's, there's a part of you that doesn't change. And there's a part of you that does change. Like every year you look in the mirror, you're getting older and you have this life that you're leading. And one thing I really love about art is, and sketchbooks is keeping a log. We are on a galactic voyage here. I mean, literally, I mean, I love the term starship earth. Yeah, I think that's just too. brilliant. Yeah. I just think that's so brilliant. I think it's, it really, I love when people speak in pictures because for me, pictures and symbols hold so much meaning more than just Webster dictionary could hold. Yeah. You know, I mean, I love the powers of symbols. I love not just what they stand for, what they mean, but how they make you feel and, and how they turn up and, and, how they change and transform and how they are so poignant because these are our true communication devices. And I just think that your life is about a journey and it's about a process of metamorphosis. And some people don't want to change. And I agree with them in so many ways because learning sucks. I mean, it's, it's, it's embarrassing it's hurtful, but there's nothing greater because as you devote yourself to this process and you cultivate a sense that that it has meaning, especially when you're confronted with so many synchronistic and incredible kinds of coincidences and when something you didn't understand suddenly unfolds and you're in a state of awe and what I call true rapture and rapture is not the end of the world. It's the end of the, of the old notions of what, what you thought was the world. And you get a sense a little bit more of paradise, which you always feel when you look at the, the Eagle Nebula from the Hubble space, telescope and you look at what's out there one thing you've got to say it's gorgeous i mean it's not like it's not ugly that's where the pictorial element is so powerful i mean imagine breaking bread having a like a supper with an astronaut who's returned talk about a sense of sacredness talk about breaking bread talk about sharing the body and blood right there and he tells you like we live on a very thin crust that the atmosphere and the and the thin layer that we live on, you know, don't forget the majority of the Earth is friggin' fire. <laughs> yes, <laughs> you know, yes. we're, we're we're just a thin crust, you know, and, and a little thin atmosphere. I mean, you know, I mean, and and we got problems. I mean, like, yeah, you know, I used to make a joke, like, you know, um, when I was really depressed and dark, I thought, you know, if 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 I really thought that I was I didn't even think that I was um, important enough even to commit suicide, you know? <laughs> you know, because like a, a person who's committing suicide, I mean, they really think they're important, you know? Or, or I mean, their problems are so... It's the... Their problems or or, or their or their feeling of, of not wanting to take the pain anymore is as big as the universe. And imagine if you could take a person or your own self 
and gain perspective. I mean, the first thing the Romans did when they fought was, right, they go for the hill top. I mean, yeah. if you gain perspective or altitude and you look down, you gain a different sense. And that's the whole notion of the whole idea of the contemplation of the gods. Well, it's literally space travel. I mean, that's what it's about. It's about, imagine, imagine you and I as ancient uh, hunters, and we've, we've, we've successfully done a kill, we've been starving for days, and, we're, and we've just filled our bellies, and we have a warm campfire, and we look up and we see the galactic band of the Milky Way, right? The sky literally is clear like glass, and we can literally see our galaxy. Imagine, we would be thinking about the gods. Who's out there? Like, what is that? And that's what it's about. You know what I'm saying? That's, that's where the mystery comes from. It's undefinable. It's unknowable because it invites you to experience it. Just the mere contemplation of it or sharing it or going to an art show or reading a book that means something to you or having a significant experience and sharing it with somebody. It's so, it's what makes this life so precious. And in the end, that's what it's about, isn't it? Remembering a process of, isn't that what unfolding actually is? Isn't that what enlightenment or nirvana or discovery actually is? You discover something that was always there, but nobody saw it, right? I mean, that's what it's about. And you imagine right now, how many treasures are in front of you that you can't see, that are invisible because of the way you think and how you feel and what you're caught up in and what you're scared about and, 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 and maybe you're afraid of change and afraid of learning and afraid of looking like a fool and afraid of making a mistake and afraid of the judgment that we started our conversation out with. And suddenly you realize that my goodness, you know, just a, a sense of just contemplating the fact that there are these secret treasures all around me that I can't see, that to me is extremely enticing and really wonderful. And I think that that really, hopefully, you know, is something that I would like to continue to investigate and have the opportunity to. And I hope that I'm able to inspire that as because I've certainly been inspired by others. You know, and I've seen the kinds of beauty and in ingenuity and and incredible connections that some others have made through their own works or how they've lived their life. And it's just it you almost feel like anything less would be an insult. You know, for you you know, for you not to at least be a part of what's great. If you can't be great yourself, if you can't, if you don't have the moxie to step in the ring, help somebody who is. I mean, I just think that that is a beautiful act. And too many of us become cynical and and try to, oh, he's not a hero. Oh, look at, he, look, he, oh, he, 
okay, so he, he came up with the master component, but where was he all that time? You know, you know, yeah. you know that was a character in the bridge that's always, which the Greeks called uh, the discord, you know, the one who sows discord. You know, oh, yeah. You know, you got good with the captain because you saved us. Yeah, but who gave you that component? Like, how did you get it? Like, where you know, they're always putting their lack. Yep. It's it's one of the things of our culture. Everybody say, like, we like to build up heroes and then watch them fall because we realize they were greater than us. And then we're like, ha, you're not better than us. Look at you. You just, look at you fucking up. You're not better than me. They love that shit. Oh. People love it. Yeah, I, you know what? I, I, I always loved, like, what was it? There was an old science fiction show when I was a kid that I saw. I, I always hated it because I was like, I wanted Star Trek to come on, and but this one would come <laughs> on. And then I slowly began to get into it because it was so bizarre. It was called Lost in Space. Okay. And there was a character, Dr. Smith. And he was like this crazy, evil, effeminate, like cowardly, but yet oddly brilliant character. And you notice that his archetype, you know, the most important character of every story in everyone's life is the traitor. I mean, you look at the Dune stories, it's the traitor. You look at Judas, the traitor. You look at your own life, the people that betrayed you or backstabbed you. They really become the fulcrum, the most important characters that motivated you to do better or to or to or to change or to adapt or to you know what I mean? They taught you something about yourself that you would not have learned. I mean, in the Dune series, it had the Doctor uh, uh, was his Nuri or what? I forgot the character's name. If he had not betrayed the house, the, the Paul uh, character would not have gained all that power and that wisdom. Or Christ, you know, the same thing, you know. There's always in all of, all of our stories that, oh, in the Buddha story, I loved when he's at the Bodhi tree and Maya comes and flings every ghastly thing you can imagine at him, you know, uh, to, to, you know, it's always that kind of traitor or the shadow or the coward. It's interesting. Where if, we find the strength. Have you ever, have you, you know? do you know about like the, um, there's like, a, I guess it's maybe Gnostic uh, parts of the Bible, or I don't even know if this came from the Gnostic religion, but there was, suppose, I guess there's a, a lost book of Judas. And in that, you know, in the fragments they were able to put together, Judas doesn't claim to really betray Jesus in the way that's portrayed in the Bible, and more is in a way that it was in cohorts, cohorts with Jesus because Jesus knew that it was essential. Uh, it was an essential part of his story to have Judas betray him. Well, the Christ consciousness invoked in the individual is one's inner son or one's King Arthur type. And that higher consciousness tells you that your cowardly, darker aspect is necessary. Sometimes we get caught up in the cowardly dark aspect, and we do very terrible things. And, you know, we always hear in the news about somebody who hit and run, or someone who shot somebody, or, you know, who's on trial for, like, that Zimmerman character, or, or all these types of individuals that are in our, you know, in the stories. And, you know, he was, 
He was patrolling his neighborhood. He wanted to be the hero. Yeah. And now he's the painted black. He's the villain. I mean, I mean, he killed this, you know, this human being, this, this kid for, for the, his color of his skin, for what he looked like, for what he, for what he thought. He projected this boogeyman, you know, on him. I mean, who knows? I mean, it yeah. was, but he got this person and, and this, um, and suddenly he's in this nightmare and, and realizes that, can you imagine his realization it when he's in the cell? He's like, oh my goodness, like, like Richard III in Shakespeare's play or something. I'm the villain. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I, this wasn't a thug. This wasn't some hoodlum. This wasn't some, you know, the, the, you know, this was someone's son, you know, this yeah. buying like, skittles or something. I mean, soda pop talking to his girlfriend. I mean, I apparently freaked out that some dude, I mean, he thought that the Zimmerman guy was the, some boogeyman coming after him, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, you imagine the way this Zimmerman guy must have looked at him. I mean, that's the point is. We are we are both the Christ or Jesus aspect and the Judas within our own lives. And unfortunately, sometimes we fall into the path of someone like this recent shooting um, with this uh, young child, this man, this 20-year-old who shot his mother and then got into a car uh, I think dressed in camouflage or and, and shot all these children. Yeah, we want to talk about, oh, the cycle. Nobody can understand because we don't want to go there. You know, no one's safe because the enemy is within. You know, I mean, if we lock somebody away, we have to know that we, we also, too, possess that potential. I mean, that's yeah kind of the argument of against capital punishment, you know what I mean? Because if you if you execute murderers, you become the same thing that they are. So yeah. you have to you have to have this relationship with a traitor, you know, the one that rapes and murders and takes what isn't theirs and and imposes their power and their will in such a destructive and terrifying way. This is something that our society is is really in grips with. And I think that a lot of the art, you know, people tend to associate with some of the dark artists or something. I know that there's in my own work some dark elements. And it's because, I mean, these types of things need to be seen and recognized and understood. And, and we need to gain a sense that the, the shadow or the traitor will cause destruction. And we need to understand that if we can get more in harmony with this, you know, it can become more of a process of transformation than the horrible outbursts that we have. And, you know, not everybody can conform to our society. It is not an easy program. You know, there are a lot of unique and dynamic minds out there and very fragile ones. And, you know, our society is unforgiving. And, <laughs> you know, if you, if you make a mistake, there are consequences. And I understand that. Um, you always hope that the spirit can grow from a wound. 
you know, in the ancient times, there was a philosophy that there was a, a dark god, and he has many different names. You know, in India, it could be Kali, or in other parts, Baal, uh, the, the child devourer. And, and it comes in many different forms. I mean, who's to say that the, that the tumor in the brain is not demon possession? I mean, what is <laughs> no, yeah. I mean, like, a demon can be a part of the psyche or an interface, or, I mean, like, what is the, we have the brain, and then we have the mind. Are they the same thing? I'm just saying that everything in, in life, to the sublime, to the most terrible, has a very weird mystery and curiosity to it. And I think sooner or later we're not going to be able to close the door or, or put the lock on it or burn it or purge it or we're going to have to confront it. But unless we confront the demons that we do have within ourselves, we're never going to be able to face the true darkness, which is the unknown. I'm going to actually end it on that because this can go on forever. I feel like you have so many interesting ideas. <laughs> it could just keep on going. I actually had questions that I had, you know, I did a little research trying to think about like what I would ask you. I didn't touch these questions because everything you started talking about started just blooming all these other questions in my head. So um, that was, I, I had a great time talking to you. I, I, re- I really, uh, you know, I thank you for, for doing this. I, I really enjoyed speaking with you. Um, it was a great pleasure, and um, let's keep in touch. And um, definitely, really respect what you're doing. And thank you so much for allowing me uh, to be a part of it. And I'm sorry you didn't get to your questions. We just no. had a conversation, and it went where it went, I guess. <laughs> yeah, that's better. 